We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Away we go, episode 77 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, June 4th, 2021, the day after the elimination of LeBron James and the defending NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers from the NBA playoffs. And I said, LeBron James. LeBron James? Yes, LeBron James, the king. Bron Bron, LaTravel. China's favorite basketball player, that guy, Gonzo, from the NBA playoffs. How about this? The NBA Finals will not include LeBron James or Steph Curry for the first time since 2010. 2010! 
It is 2021. In case you don't know, you got to go back to 2010 for the last time that we had what we're now going to have this year, an NBA Finals without LeBron James and Steph Curry. So if you're like me and are a lifelong Wizards slash Bullets fan, you can perhaps take some solace in knowing that both the Wizards and the Lakers were eliminated in the first round of this year's NBA playoffs. LeBron James. Yes, the Lakers with LeBron James. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Happy Friday. Nice to have you with us. I will talk Wizards next segment. Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks spoke at length on Thursday. Where are we going with our Wiz off the end of their season on Wednesday night? Plenty for you on the Washington football team on the show. Scott Turner and Kyle Allen spoke after Thursday's OTA practice. We'll do a lot on the quarterback situation. Scott said a lot about Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. Kyle opened up about where he's at in his recovery from the injured ankle. We had not heard a lot about how Kyle's doing. We got a good bit on that from Kyle himself on Thursday. Also, special guest, Washington football team insider Ben Standig of The Athletic DC will cover a lot of ground, including how Ron Rivera truly feels about Chase Young no-showing OTA practices, whether Washington might only keep two quarterbacks on the season opening 53-man roster, the truth behind Washington releasing Morgan Moses, and much more. I'll talk Nationals, too, off a 5-1 loss at the Atlanta Braves on Thursday afternoon as the Nats offense of back-to-back encouraging performances in back-to-back wins was right back to doing nothing on Thursday. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received a lot of feedback on what should be next for the Wizards just to take you through some of what I have received. A tweet from Jeremy Lee, fire Brooks, hire Becky Hammond or Sam Cassell that's who I'm beating the drum for. Would hate to see Beal dealt, but it has to be on the table. Yes, it does. Tweet from Tundy A on Scott Brooks. Scott is objectively a mediocre coach, just like Jay Gruden was objectively a bad head coach. These guys are nice guys and were good in one or two aspects of the job, but overall, they suck. Well, I don't know if I'd say that Brooks sucks, okay? You can do better than Scott Brooks, and I think the Wizards should do better. But Brooks did make an NBA Finals, okay? I mean, let's be fair. Brooks, as the Oklahoma City Thunders head coach, made three Western Conference Finals in four years, including the NBA Finals in 2012. And yes, of course, he had Kevin Durant at the time, in addition to Russell Westbrook. But it's hard to suck and make three Western Conference Finals in four years, including an NBA Finals. A tweet from David Siraki. Beal, Westbrook, and Gafford are the only players who should be off the table trade-wise. We need a true four who will get in the paint to prevent teams from double and triple teaming Beal. Beal should not be off the table trade-wise. And honestly, Westbrook should not be off the table trade-wise. I just don't know that any team is going to be trading for Russell Westbrook given that contract. But if you can trade away both guys and you're just not feeling this Beal-Westbrook run in terms of leading to anywhere meaningful, then you should be open to trading those guys. I'm with you on Gafford. I like Gafford a lot as a piece moving forward. That trade that netted the Wizards' Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchison too, that already looks like one of the great trades in Wizards slash Bullets history. Tweet from Hassan Riaz. If they trade Beal, they will be stuck with Westbrook for a couple years with a hard-to-move contract. So I say stick with Beal and Westbrook, add one reliable scorer, and like five 3-and-D guys won't win a championship, but it's really the best they can do. Tweet from the real guy, Lorian. They only know that road to nowhere. 
L. And we'll be getting to that coming up next segment. Uh, email from Michael King on all-time DC area sports heels, which we got into on Thursday's installment of the podcast of Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, on Wednesday announcing that the 2021-2022 season will be his final year of coaching. I said that Coach K may be my all-time number one D.C. sports heel. Writes Michael, I am a 1990 Maryland grad. I think K is my most hated sports guy as well. Parcells, also a good mention. Yes, Bill Parcells is up there for me. Emmett Smith, up there for me as well. Email from Robert Delaney. I don't know, Al. Dean Smith was a bigger heel than Coach K. Maybe that's an age thing. Hard to believe that Lefty beat Coach K for his first ACC tournament win. We're talking Lefty. Yes, it is incredible. Mike Krzyzewski, 41 seasons as Duke head coach. His first season as Duke head coach was the 1980-81 season. Mike Krzyzewski became Duke head coach before Joe Gibbs became Washington's head coach. Think about that. Duke hired Coach K as head coach in March 1980. Washington hired Gibbs as head coach in January 1981. (laughs) Yes, Coach Gibbs is laughing about that. He finds that funny. (laughs) Exactly. I love that Joe Gibbs laugh. Has anyone ever had a better laugh than Coach Joe? (laughs) I cannot get enough of that, especially on a Friday. We're a little loopy on this Friday. Well, not so funny is another wizard season being over before even the second round of the NBA playoffs. So Thursday was the day after the end of the Wizards 2020-2021 season, a day on which we were to perhaps get the news of the Wizards' decision on head coach Scott Brooks. I noted on the previous installment of the podcast that Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard and Brooks were due to speak to reporters on Thursday morning. And speak, Shepard and Brooks did. And speak, and speak, and speak. Shepard and Brooks combined to speak for more than an hour. There was a lot said. But the bottom line is that Brooks remains the Wizards head coach for now. His status moving forward is uncertain. This was Shepard on Brooks' status. You know, we're not doing anything about that today. Um, we are obviously going to do a thorough evaluation top to bottom of our whole organization and ways we can get better. But any question about that stuff, that's not for today. That's not this time. I will say this. Scotty did a hell of a job keeping this team together through some of the most Difficult, dark moments, uh, probably in franchise history, to be honest with you. Some of the moments we faced in early season and to finish up the way we did, 17-6 down the last 23 and being able to go 19-10 and 10 since uh, the trade deadline, I think speaks very highly of a cohesive unit that was able to overcome great odds. And Scotty did a great job with that. That being said, we want to get better, all of us. It starts with me. I've got to do my job better. We all have to get better at what we do, and that's what we're going to use this next few weeks to do. So a thorough evaluation of the Wizards organization is coming. You heard Shepard at the end of that cut there use the phrase a few weeks. So it could be a while until we find out the fate of Scott Brooks as Wizards head coach. Shepard certainly gave Brooks a lot of compliments in that cut that I just played for you, but in no way gave assurance that Brooks will be back as head coach. Here was Brooks's reaction to all of this. Uh, it doesn't bother me one bit. That's just part of being in this business. It's obviously well documented that my contract's up. Never, never, never focused on that last summer. Never focused on it 
the start of this season. I've never focused on it the entire season. I haven't, haven't thought about it much other than last night getting questions and this morning. It's not, that's not how I live my life. I focus on doing my job the best I can. I got a lot of, I got a uh, privilege being in this league for the long time that I've had, I've been in this league and I got a lot of important things that I care about and being a husband and a dad are things I, I worry about on a day to day basis. Uh, me having a job is not a, a thing that I worry about. It's a thing that I focus on. I love to do, but uncertainty that's never, that never bothers me. I made it in the NBA as a non-drafted rookie. So I think there were seven rounds back then and only 23 teams. So that was more of a long shot now, but that's nothing that I'm concerned with. I give you my stance on what the Wizards should do on Thursday's installment of the podcast, episode 76. The Wizards this offseason need to either somehow acquire a third major piece to add to Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook or trade Bradley Beal. The Wizards need to pick one extreme direction or the other. Either double down on Beal and Westbrook or trade Beal because he can opt out out of his contract after next season. Pick a path and go full force in it. The Wizards losing to the Philadelphia 76ers in five games in the first round served as a very stiff reminder of what the Wizards are. They are an at-best number four to number six playoff seed in the Eastern Conference. Yes, there were injury reasons for why the Wizards were only the eighth seed in the East in the 2021 NBA playoffs. Russell Westbrook dealt with a torn left quadriceps early in the season. I get that. But even accounting for that and other things, you do not have a Wizards team that realistically can compete for a top three seed in the East. And in the NBA, if you're not a top three seed in your conference, you basically have no shot at an NBA title. Just two NBA champions ever have been non-top three-seeded teams. The four-seeded Boston Celtics in the 1968-69 season and the six-seeded Houston Rockets in the 1994-95 season. That's it. Otherwise, every other NBA champion has been a top three seed in that team's conference. So if you're not in a realistic position to be a top three seed in your conference, then you're not in a realistic position to win an NBA title. And if you're not in a realistic position to win an NBA title, then you need to get into that position. And the Wizards 2021 offseason needs to be all about getting into that position. The worst thing that the Wizards could do this offseason is not add another piece, but also not trade Beal. The worst thing that the Wizards could do this offseason is just plan to run it back for next season. Yeah, you know what? We were banged up this past season. Let's just run it back. Hopefully we stay healthy and we can make a charge at the four seed in the East. Okay, fine. Then what? The four seed is a road to nowhere, realistically speaking. And to this end of just running it back, how about this from Tommy Shepard on Thursday? I have no concern whatsoever that we'll always be able to acquire, attract talent. I want to retain the talent that we do have. You know, free agency is difficult. It gives everybody an opportunity. Everybody has options. Everybody has choices. It's very important to me that we protect the continuity of this team moving forward. When you find something that works, you want to build on it. You never say, hey, let's just run this back. This is not a run it back team. We have to get better. So to do that, you have to run it better. You have to build. You have to improve. And we're going to do everything possible, look at every option that we can to make that happen. All right, so that was good to hear. Shepard saying this is not a run-it-back team. This is a run-it-better team. Good. 
I loved hearing that from Shepard on Thursday. This is one of the reasons why I like Tommy Shepard. I think he's made a lot of smart moves, but I like the way this man speaks. Now, of course, these are just words. We need to see the actions, but excellent to hear that. This should not be a run-it-back team. This team needs to get better. The Wizards being a best-case number four to number six seed in the Eastern Conference is a road to nowhere. So when it comes to whether the Wizards should retain Scott Brooks as head coach, that to me depends on the path that the Wizards go in. Personally, I do want a new head coach. I want a head coach who will get the Wizards to play high-level defense and also be better offensively. The Wizards hired Brooks as their head coach in April 2016. You know by now the Wizards have been a wretched defensive team way too often for years now. Take a listen to this, though. Here are the Wizards' rankings in defensive rating, which is points allowed per 100 possessions per NBA.com in each of Brooks's five regular seasons as Wizards head coach. 2016-2017, 20th. 2017-2018, 15th. All right, middle of the pack. 2018-2019, 27th. 2019-2020, 29th, next to last. 2020-2021, 20th. The Wizards routinely in or very near to the bottom third of the NBA in defensive rating under Scott Brooks. Four times in five seasons, to be exact. Now, when it comes to offense, the Wizards have been better under Brooks. That is true, but still not perfect. And there is very much room for improvement. I do like some of the things we've seen offensively from the Wizards under Brooks. I mean, if we're being fair about things, Bradley Beal has blossomed into an elite scorer with Scott Brooks as head coach. Brooks gets at least some credit for that. The Wizards this past regular season were number one in the NBA in pace, which is possessions per 48 minutes per NBA.com. Brooks deserves credit for that. But here are the Wizards rankings in offensive rating in each of Brooks's five regular seasons as Wizards head coach. Offensive rating is points per 100 possessions per NBA.com. 2016-2017, the Wizards were eighth. Okay, that's great. And that was a season, remember, in which the Wizards made it to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference semis. But 2017-2018, 15th. 2018-2019, 15th. 2019-2020, 16th. 2020-2021, 17th. So middle of the pack offensive rating ratings for the Wizards for most of Brooks's tenure as head coach. Not terrible rankings, but also not great rankings. Don't be fooled by the points per game that the Wizards have put up under Scott Brooks. Go by offensive rating. That normalizes things. Again, points per 100 possessions. The Wizards, each of the last four regular seasons, have been essentially a middle-of-the-pack team in offensive rating. Could be worse, but also could be better. So personally, I want a new head coach. The Wizards can do better. I believe they should do better. However, if the Wizards do double down on Beal and Westbrook, I do think that there's an argument for keeping Brooks because Westbrook loves Brooks. Brooks can maximize Westbrook. As we saw down the stretch of this past regular season, the 17 and 6 stretch to conclude the Wizards regular season, the insane run of triple doubles by Westbrook down the stretch of the regular season. And Beal seems to like Brooks. I don't think that Beal loves Brooks, but Beal does seem to like Brooks. And if you're saying, Goldie, why should Westbrook's and Beal's opinions of Brooks matter regarding whether the Wizards retain Brooks? The inmates shall not run the asylum. I hear you on that. But that's the NBA, man. Okay? The NBA is a player's league. That ship has sailed. That toothpaste is out of the tube. This is the way the NBA works. The players run the league. That's not changing. 
And so if you're trying to go all in and you got two stars in Westbrook and Beal and you're trying to add another third major piece, you need to make sure that your stars are on board with the head coach. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the way that it's been for years in the NBA. It did sound on Thursday like Shepard is leaning toward keeping Brooks. We can't know with certainty that the Brooks decision is Shepard's. You know, that may be said to be the case. We don't know, though, that that is the case. You know, if Shepard wants one thing and the owner Ted Leonsis wants another thing, then the owner Ted Leonsis is going to win out. But to whatever extent the decision on Brooks is Shepard's, I got the sense on Thursday that Shepard is leaning toward keeping Brooks. Take a listen to this. Shepard on what goes into the decision on whether to keep Brooks as head coach of the Wizards. Well, certainly their performance and, and the, the opportunity to take the Wizards to another level. And when you look at where, where Coach Brooks, as we finish the fifth season, you know, that first season you come in, you're 49 games, you get to the second round, go within one game and get to the conference finals. To now, I, I think the only consistent thing was change. We, we were faced a lot of adversity. We had a lot of injuries. And quite honestly, when I look at this team that just finished the, the first round of the NBA playoffs, the last time we were in the playoffs, Bradley Beal is the only player on this roster uh, left from that team. And so that says a lot about the change that we've had. There hasn't been that continuity that I think successful franchises have year in and year out. And that's okay. We weren't successful enough to keep those old teams going. Now the question is moving forward. Do we have enough talent here? Do we have enough strength in the, in the, in the coaching staff to move forward? And, and that's what we're going to evaluate. I believe we do. I think Scotty's done a heck of a job. Very trying circumstances. The two seasons that he didn't take us to the playoffs, we had huge injuries. We had huge issues there. This year, I think when you finish out the season going 17 and six, when I look at all the, I look around at all the things that we were able to do, some of the places we were able to win, some of the teams we were able to beat, uh, the accomplishments that happened within the season. That didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by luck. There was a whole bunch of people pulling together and, and Scotty was absolutely an orchestrator of, of keeping everybody positive and moving through some very dark moments. So I give him great credit for that. We all collectively have to evaluate what's best for the Wizards moving forward, and that's what we'll do. And certainly I think some of the the things that we're going to look at certainly is how can we get better? How can we elevate our performance on the floor, away from the floor? How can we make more intelligent, informed decisions? And and both ends of the court, defensively, we got to get better. There's no question. We showed that we could throughout the year. Offensively, hey, we've got to be more creative. Got to get the ball spread around a lot more. We've got to shoot the ball better. Those things we all we all agree upon. Now, how do you go out and do that? You, you identify the problems. Now we have to find the solutions, and that's not going to happen overnight. And again, Shepard there emphasizing this is not going to necessarily be a quick decision, what the Wizards end up doing with Scott Brooks. We shall see, but if you're among those hoping for the Wizards to part ways with Brooks, you shouldn't be holding your breath. But the Brooks decision is just a part of a much larger decision to me that the Wizards have to make this offseason. You're either doubling down on Beal and Westbrook or you are trading Beal. That to me is the number one decision this offseason, not what happens with the head coach, even though what happens with the head coach does matter. But this is a very big and important offseason for the Wizards. And I want to be able to look back upon it as one that sets the Wizards on a course to much better things than a five-game first-round series loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. The damn Washington Wizards! 
Exactly. Well, Wizards have some decisions to make. One of the biggest decisions you'll ever make is who you sell your home with. Yes, who you go with as your real estate agent matters. And so if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, even if you're just thinking about selling your home, contact one of the great supporters of the Al Galdi podcast, John Grandland of Real Broker, my guy, John G. And understand, whereas Ron Rivera has position flex, John Grandland offers commission flex. Most real estate agents just give you a flat rate and say, hey, take it or leave it. This is how it goes. Not John Grandland, because he understands not every home requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, you shouldn't have to pay 6%. That would be dumb. John Grandlin's commission flex is changing the game. Let John Grandlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right, for free. Some conditions do apply. Interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. He will sell your home guaranteed. That's right, guaranteed. He guarantees the sale of your home. Here's the phone number, 703-537-6747. That's 703-537-6747. Make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you, or visit John G. Sells for free. Dot com. I love that site. John G. Sells for free. Dot com. John Grandland. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the master of commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron. Just like position flex. Well, speaking of Don Ron, we had more from the Washington football team on Thursday as the second and final week of OTA practices wrapped up. Next week, we have the mandatory minicamp, June 8th through the 10th, and then the players are off until training camp, whenever and wherever that is. Uh, should start in late July, but where remains unknown. Maybe Ashburn, maybe Richmond. I talked about the Richmond situation with Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com on Wednesday's installment of the podcast episode 75. Anyway, among those who spoke via Zoom press conference on Thursday were Scott Turner and Kyle Allen. So as I have said, I want an open, honest, good faith quarterback competition at training camp. Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke versus Kyle Allen. May the best man win. Ron Rivera has said that there will be a competition, but also has said that Fitzpatrick is starting off as a starting quarterback, and you talk to those who cover and talk about the team, they'll tell you that Fitzpatrick is going to be the QB1 and have very little doubt about that. So what about the competition, especially when you factor in the desire to get Fitzpatrick fully ready to be the QB1, if in fact he's going to be the QB1? Scott Turner on Thursday. I think, you know, when you got a veteran player like that has played a lot like him, um, you know, right now it's new, so we're giving, you know, obviously a lot of reps. Um, you know, trying to get him as comfortable as he can with the verbiage, calling the plays, all that stuff. It's like learning a new language for him. Um, and, you know, so him working through that is big. Uh, you know, like the guys that we have with, he's talking about Taylor and Kyle, you know, they've had the, played the backup role where 
you know, they have experience with the offense where you can be ready with not a lot of reps, um, but they're still getting reps. The, you know, the beauty of being in OTAs and having a 90-man roster is you work ones, twos, and threes, and we kind of roll guys in those groups. So all three of those guys are getting reps this time of year. The time that it gets, it gets complicated um, is when you get to the season, you only have so much practice time before a game. But right now it's easy to get everybody reps, and we can kind of roll guys. You know, we'll throw a different guy in with the first group or, or mix up who's with the second or third group and we're getting Montez some reps and, you know, you, you got, there's enough to go around right now. I mean, oh, I say that I, I never feel like we have enough, but there, there is enough and it's not like you're going to have a guy take, you know, whatever 60 straight reps in a practice and every day is a game for him. So, you know, and you can evaluate, um, you know, you can evaluate those guys and what happens is sometimes, you know, maybe they don't get the chance to throw with the, the number one receiver. So if they do become the starter, that stuff's a little new, but, uh, you know, guys have to do a pretty good job of adjusting to that. One of the biggest reasons that I am excited to see Ryan Fitzpatrick as Washington's starting quarterback, if in fact that's what ends up happening, is that Fitzpatrick is the opposite of a lot of what we have been seeing with Washington at quarterback for years. If you have been frustrated with the nature of quarterback play for the Washington football team in recent seasons, I think a lot of that frustration is going to go bye-bye in 2021. Now, there may be new frustrations that settle in. We'll see. Uh, but understand, per the NFL's next-gen stats, the quarterbacks with the two lowest average completed air yards in the 2020 regular season were Washington quarterbacks. Alex Smith at 3.8 and Dwayne Haskins at 3.6. Fitzpatrick ranked 13th at 6.5. Big difference. Fitzpatrick, in fact, in the 2019 regular season was number five in the NFL in average completed air yards at 7.1. Fitzpatrick in the 2018 regular season was number one in the NFL in average completed air yards at 8.8. Fitzpatrick is neither a dinker nor a dunker. He is an aggressive thrower of the football. He is a chucker. He has a nickname. It is Yolo Fitz. You only live once. Fitzpatrick is going into his age 39 season. This guy was a seventh round pick in the 2005 NFL draft out of Harvard. He doesn't care. Okay. He is out there to chuck it, to throw deep, to throw with purpose. That's what I love and respect so much about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Also, when it comes to taking sacks, understand Fitzpatrick comes to Washington having over his 16 NFL seasons accumulated a career regular season sack percentage that's simply time sacked divided by pass attempts plus time sacked of 5.6, including 5.0 in 2020. The league average in 2020 was 5.9. So Fitzpatrick last regular season was above league average when it came to sack percentage. Compare that with what Washington has dealt with here. Alex Smith's sack percentage over eight games last regular season was eight. Dwayne Haskins' sack percentage over his two seasons with Washington, 2019 and 2020, was 9.9. Kyle Allen's sack percentage over his four games with Washington last regular season was 7.4. Washington quarterbacks in the 2020 regular season took 50 sacks for 331 lost yards. Everybody talks about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the interceptions. Okay, fine. 
But understand, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to lessen the sack taking by Washington this upcoming season. There's going to be a substantial gain in that hidden yardage this upcoming season for Washington if, in fact, Fitzpatrick is the QB1. Scott Turner on Thursday on Fitzpatrick opening up Scott's playbook. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is with Ryan is that he's just, you know, he's a good player that's been proven to be successful, uh, especially if you look at the last few years of his career. You talk about, um, you know, the, you know, the numbers or just the production, you know, that he's had. Um, and, you know, just adding that, a guy that, you know, can clearly make all the throws, um, you know, sees the field well so the ball comes out on time and where it's supposed to. Um, that, that's, that's huge. You know, that's huge to have that. And then, like I was saying earlier, just the experience, you know, I mean, you know, there might be a concept we've run that he's had a hundred reps on and, um, he might have a little more insight of something that I didn't even think of, um, based on stuff that he's, you know, stuff that he's seen in the past. And just those conversations you have with someone like that, um, you know, just helps, helps me grow. And then obviously, you know, he can see it and he can execute it on the field, um, so we can get the most out of every play. Yes, which was not always the case last regular season. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has demonstrated an ability to play at a high level over the last few seasons. I've talked about this. He has finished top 10 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR each of the last two regular seasons, fifth in the 2020 regular season, eighth in the 2019 regular season. Fitzpatrick in the 2018 regular season was number one in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 9.6. But with Ryan Fitzpatrick, aka Ryan Fitzmagic, there also is the phenomenon of Ryan Fitztragic. He throws interceptions. This has been a thing. Now, it's worth noting Fitzpatrick over his two seasons with the Miami Dolphins, 2019 and 2020, had an interception percentage, that's interceptions divided by pass attempts, of 2.73. The league average interception percentage over the last two regular seasons is 2.26. So he is below league average. When it comes to interception percentage, it's not like he's below league average by a ton and he's throwing, you know, so many more interceptions than what you're used to, but it is a few more interceptions per season than is average, okay? NFL teams over the last two seasons have averaged about 560 pass attempts per season. So if you apply Ryan Fitzpatrick's interception percentage over the last two seasons, that works out to about 15.3 interceptions over the course of a full regular season, 16 games. We're now going to 17 games. But so, you know, 15 picks is not nothing. You'd like for that number to be lower. We'll see what the number ends up being for Fitzpatrick in 2021. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday on the strengths and weaknesses of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Everybody's got strength and weaknesses. You're going to play to certain guys' strengths. Uh, you know, we're going to approach Ryan Fitzpatrick different than we would when we had Cam Newton in Carolina. You know, um, different guys are different. That's extreme examples, but there's, there's levels to that. Um, and that's just, you know, that's kind of how we look at it. And, and then you do that, like Ryan is a very self-aware guy and, um, like he'll tell, he'll tell me like, Hey, I don't, you know, I've run this concept, you know, we don't have, I don't have a great feel for it. And then we'll have a conversation about it. We might look at it and then say, Hey, you know, we're better off. There's a lot of plays that you can run, um, in football. So, you know, we can, we can be selective, um, and work to do what's best for our guys. We spent a good bit of time on Thursday's installment of the podcast talking Taylor Heineke, who spoke via Zoom press conference on Wednesday. Heineke this offseason has bulked up. He talked about this quite a bit on Wednesday. He said he's put on about 15 pounds and he does look bigger. Dude has put on some mass. Uh, Heineke, of course, has a significant injury history. That is why the mass 
has been put on. Heineke in 2017 made his NFL regular season debut in a Week 16 relief outing for the Houston Texans, suffered a concussion. Heineke in 2018 made his first NFL regular season start in Week 16, suffered a season-ending left elbow injury. And Heineke in the 2020 season, right, started and played great in Washington's 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round. But he got hurt in that game, suffered the AC joint separation in his left shoulder on the spectacular, unforgettable third quarter, third and five, eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. Scott Turner on Thursday on Heineke, specifically trying to find a balance between playing aggressively and playing smart to avoid injury. Yeah, I mean, so first off, I know Taylor pretty well. If he's in that situation again, he's diving for the pylon. There's no <laughs> there's no question about that. But, I mean, it's a, that was a playoff game. We need to have it. But but overall, and I had this conversation with him at the end of the season, the one thing I told him he needed to put on weight in his upper body and just to protect himself. It's not, it's not for – obviously, he could play the game, and we saw that, but just to protect his body from taking hits. I mean, that's the one thing that gets overlooked, I think, is – you know, the quarterbacks and their size. And a lot of the reason that guys want bigger quarterbacks is because you got to take the, you know, the pounding of getting hit, um, you know, for 16, now 17 plus games. Um, so that was one thing. And he, he definitely did that. You can see the dedication, um, that he put in, uh, and he's bigger, you know, his body, upper body is clearly bigger. He's put on some weight. And then the other part of it is, you know, he's really, he has two starts in his career and both the times that he played, it was like, that was his one opportunity to, to kind of show people that he belonged. So he wasn't going to slide or, you know, he wasn't going to slide. He wasn't, he's going to run. He might take an extra hit. Like he's a tough guy. Um, and that's now the conversation is, man, we, we've seen you do it. Like we've, we know you can do it. If you play again, you know, on a long scramble and they're coming to hit you, just slide and th- don't take that extra hit. Um, get out of bounds, you know, throw the ball away, you know, those types of things live to play another play uh, where, before and understandably so, you know, his mindset was, hey, man, I'm going to do everything I can because you don't know what play is going to make the difference of, you know, me having a career in this league or not. So we've talked Ryan Fitzpatrick. We've talked Taylor Heineke. And now we talk Kyle Allen. The Washington football team this past March 10th announced that the team had tendered Kyle Allen as an exclusive rights-free agent. The tender was for $850,000. Allen ended up signing that tender. He's going into his age 25 season. Washington, of course, acquired Kyle Allen last offseason via trade with the Carolina Panthers. March 2020, Washington dealt a fifth round pick in the 2020 NFL draft to the Panthers for Allen. And keep in mind, Kyle Allen is someone who, yes, had had a very mixed 2019 season for the Panthers, but he's also someone who none other than the New England Patriots had had interest in. NFL insider Albert Breer of SI.com and the MMQB in a mailbag column that was published on March 25th, 2020, wrote that the Pats had had interest in Kyle Allen. Quote, one player I'd heard they sniffed around a little was Kyle Allen, who was traded from Carolina to Washington, end quote. So whatever you think about Kyle Allen, understand the great Bill Belichick at least had some interest in Kyle Allen now two off seasons ago. We, of course, remember what Ron Rivera said very late in the 2020 regular season. The Wednesday before the Week 17 NFC East clinching victory at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football, Ron got asked about Alex Smith. You know, would you be here if not for Alex? And Ron said, yeah, if we had had a healthy Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen is someone who Ron Rivera likes. Kyle Allen is someone who Scott Turner likes. 
Here were the total QBRs per ESPN of each Washington starting quarterback in the 2020 regular season. QBRs on a scale of 0 to 100. Dwayne Haskins over seven games, a total QBR of 31. Alex Smith over eight games, a total QBR of 34.8. Kyle Allen over four games, a total QBR of 74.5, blowing out of the water what Haskins and Smith did in the regular season. But Kyle Allen got hurt last season, right? Washington put Allen on the reserve slash injured list last November 16th due to a dislocated left ankle and reported small fracture that he suffered in that 23-20 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in week nine. Allen underwent surgery last November 13th. Here was Kyle Allen on Thursday on his recovery from the ankle injury. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling good. I think my goal um, after the injury, just kind of feeling through it, my goal is just to be able to at least practice at this time of the year. I didn't, I've never had a serious injury like this before. So everything about this process was new to me. And I just wanted to at least try and be able to practice, like whatever it looked like. I just wanted to be able to be back out on the field. And I don't really know. I mean, there's a slight timeline on it, but really with this injury, it's more of a feel thing. And so I'm just, I didn't want to put a timeline on it. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way that I feel right now. I feel like I can move well. I don't, I, I mean, I think I'm still a little bit away from being a hundred percent. You know, I think you guys can see me running around out there. There's still a slight limp and I'm still working to get the strength fully back in that leg, but um, it's just, it's really exciting to be back and be on the field. And, you know, when your foot's turned around backwards in the field, you know, I was just, I was just hoping that I would be back on the field sooner rather than later. Yeah. And how about that? His foot turning around backwards on the field. Why is it that Washington quarterbacks have the most gruesome leg injuries? Joe Theismann in 1985, Alex Smith in 2018, Kyle Allen in 2020. Enough of this already. Uh, what about Kyle Allen in training camp? Here was Kyle on Thursday on potentially being fully cleared to practice in training camp. That's the goal. That's for sure the goal. I would like to be 100% by training camp and, and be playing those preseason games and being 100% and and be ready to go by the season. I think that's very doable. It's very possible. And I'm going to be working towards that. It does feel like Kyle Allen is number three right now when it comes to the top three quarterbacks for Washington, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, one, Taylor Heineke, two, Kyle Allen, three. But one thing I keep reminding myself of is just because we view things a certain way at the quarterback position in June doesn't mean that that's the way the quarterback position ends up playing out September through December. Nobody would have predicted what ended up happening for Washington at quarterback in the 2020 season, right? Four different starting quarterbacks over the course of the year and what a roller coaster it was in terms of who was the starter when and how the person did and all the drama that ensued, etc. So yeah, in June, it sure seems like Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the QB1 in week one, but just because that is supposed to be the case doesn't mean that that ends up being the case. And even if that does end up being the case, that doesn't mean that that ends up staying the case. The possibilities are endless when it comes to the Washington football team and the quarterback position. If nothing else, we have learned and experienced that over the years. I just hope we do not have the revolving door at quarterback that we had in 2020. I want one guy to be the guy this upcoming season because that'll mean that that guy is doing quite well for Ron Rivera and company. Well, of course, one of the really bad aspects for Ron Rivera in the 2020 season 
was him having to deal with skin cancer. Yes, I know, not a pleasant thing to bring up. The type of skin cancer that Ron Rivera had was a squamous cell skin cancer, something that one of the great supporters of this podcast, Dr. George Verghese, knows a lot about. Dr. George Verghese is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that really is a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. Having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. So if you or someone you know or love is dealing with skin cancer, we certainly hope you or the someone you know is doing well. But you can find out more about SRT by calling this phone number, 301-396-3401. You have options. SRT is an option. Call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland to find out what can be done for you. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, yes, we are in the midst of the Washington football team's offseason, but there's actually quite a bit going on. OTA practices these last two weeks, the mandatory minicamp next week, then comes the month-and-a-half-long break until training camp, but until then... We have post-practice Zoom press conferences to monitor, practice attendance to be taking, and more. And a man all over all of this is one of our favorites, Washington football team insider Ben Standig of The Athletic DC, the host of the Standig Room Only podcast. Hello, Ben. How are you? Uh, Al, I'm I'm doing great. I, uh, as somebody who does podcasting on my own, um, I'm always uh, it's always an honor to be with a legend like yourself because you actually know what you're doing. Um, I always get nervous that we're doing this over Zoom. Is it recording? Uh, Zoom is not recording. I'm recording on something else. So don't worry. It's wow. just, it's just your voice being recorded. Your, your face is fine. So don't worry about oh, that. Well, good. Oh yeah. Nobody needs to see that. You know, <laughs> like so you've got like, you know, you've got like a fancy process back there. I'm just like, you know, two stick, uh, you know, a couple sticks and tin cans and trying to figure it out. So. Uh, I will leave it to the master. Well, your podcast is doing very well. I've uh, enjoyed some of your recent conversations. Uh, Scott Turner was on with you talking wizards, so you never know what to expect on the Standing Room Only podcast. I love that. Uh, so I had a lot of fun on this podcast on the Thursday installment of it with Jack Del Rio's answer on Wednesday to your question about Jamin Davis starting off as the Mike linebacker. Jack had like zero desire to expound on that 
and even took like a little jab at Ron Rivera saying, well, Ron can say what he wants to say, but I'm not interested in giving away uh, what we're doing here. Not the first time, by the way, that Jack has said something along those lines regarding Ron, but what did you think about what Jack said uh, to you? I-, I thought it was pretty funny, probably unintentionally, but the way Jack came off with that answer. Yeah, he, uh, he look, I, we all get it to a degree, right? These guys have these jobs and it's very high pressure jobs. And you don't want to give away your secrets. On the other hand, it's June 2nd. Like, I, yes, Jamin Davis, we'd like, yeah, we would like to try him out as, as our middle linebacker. We think his skill set with his speed, his ability to go sideline to sideline, he can drop into coverage. We think that would be a really big key to help our, our defense, which already obviously has a lot of good pieces with the front four. There, plus, you know, we, we added William Jackson and to go with Kendall Fuller. Now, if we add this piece, so on and so on. I don't know why you can't just say something like that. You drafted this guy for a reason. You're not trying to determine whether he's a player. You already drafted him. You already have made that assessment. So now it's just a matter of, has it fit? And again, we're not, we didn't ask, well, how does, how does Jamie Davis fit in your plan against Justin Herbert week one? I mean, you know, so I don't know. It's what he, this is what he, this is what he does. Um, I will say, just to sort of see that point with Del Rio, um, last year, I forget the exact question, but I think it was something like, um, like, wh- what do you, uh, I don't know, something about, it was either like looking back, I, you know, what, what do you, what did you think about, you know, when you look back, what did you think about whatever just happened? He's like, oh, well, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to look back or, 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 or anything and, you know, I, I, I just want to talk about what's happening now. Okay. And so my second question was like, okay, cool. Well, if that's the case, you guys can't stop the run. When's that going to be fixed? <laughs> and, he, and he was kind of like taken back. Like, oh, okay. You, you, you said you wanted to talk about it now. Well, great. Let's do that. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. I, I get it. But sometimes I just don't, I, any of these coaches, I don't get to the degree that they feel so desperate to say nothing. I don't always understand, especially when we see some coaches do offer expansive answers. And guess what? They're, 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 they're fine. Ron offers expansive answers. We've come to know that over the last year or so. I, I just think Jack is so funny to watch at these press conferences because he has this look on his face of just extreme intensity, which by the way, if you're a fan of the team as I am, you want that in your defensive coordinator. But he just, to me, he always comes off as a guy who's like right on the doorstep of just snapping. And if you say the wrong thing, he is going to leap through the podium and he's going to grab you and strangle you. You know, like he just comes off like someone who's who's teetering on exploding on you at any given moment. I, I do feel like I'm always on the verge of having to drop and give him 20. Yeah, yeah. And I, if, he, if, he, if he actually said that to me, I might be like, wait, do I actually have to do this? I mean, maybe I do. I don't know. So. so random question while we're talking, Jack Del Rio. You had an interview with him last August that made some news with what he said about guys opting out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19. The two Washington players who opted out of last season, Caleb Brantley and Josh Harvey Clemens, have been cut this offseason. Do you think them opting out had anything to do with them being cut? I mean, I get that neither guy was a starter or, you know, a super significant player. But with what Jack said to you last August, that kind of stuck with me. I'm like, man, he doesn't seem a fan of these guys opting out. Do you think that played a role in Washington whacking those guys this offseason? Interesting. I hadn't hadn't really thought about that. I mean... I'll just charitably say no. I mean, you know, uh, when we talk, when people talk about, boy, there's all this roster turnover and Ron Rivera has gone mad with power or whatever. Like, look, anybody who comes in ultimately is going to want 
their people to some degree. If there's a choice between two players, just in general, almost always the coach or the, the GM is going to pick the player that they brought in. It's part to help justify what they do, and they, you know, they brought this somebody in for a reason versus somebody that was inherited. And in this case, Brantley and, and Harvey Clemens were already here. Um, I don't think either one of them was a, a, a lock by any stretch to make the roster. So I'll just charitably say it didn't matter, and that you know they just decided to move on with other quasi fringe players that they have a better feel for. But yes, you make the point that Del Rio wasn't exactly excited about guys opting out, so probably didn't help their cause if it was sort of a debate. You do not want to be on the wrong side of Jack Del Rio. I think at the very least we've learned that. Well, both Jack and Ron have been asked about the few no-shows at OTA practices, which, yes, are voluntary. Everyone take a shot. Uh, no Chase Young at any of the OTA practices, as best as we can tell. What do you think is the correct categorization of Ron's true feeling about Chase, who of course became a defensive captain late last season, not being at OTA practices. Like, do you think Ron is bothered by this? Do you think he's basically indifferent toward this? Do you think maybe Ron is really angry about this? Like, if you inject Ron with truth serum, what do you think he actually feels about Chase Young having no-showed the OTA practices again as best as we can tell? You know, I don't like giving you like a I don't know kind of an answer, but I'm not really sure. I mean, you logically look, you want all your guys to be there, and Chase Young isn't just a guy. He's, you know, arguably their best player. He's he's in the mix to be the face of a franchise type guy, and he isn't just somebody who's talented. He's also somebody who's shown leadership um, skills and is the type of player that others would rally around. And I do think that there's something here. Like I talked about this in my podcast yesterday. We did a bit to play off of one of Ron's sayings, is, is this interesting or is it important? And while on the one hand, it's not, it's only interesting, meaning, sure, Chase Young didn't show up, but he'll be in shape. I don't think anybody's really worried that he's going to come into the season looking like, you know, having a gut like me and being, you know, un- unprepared to chase down quarterbacks. On the other hand, if you're a coach that wants people to show up for these events, yes, it's voluntary, but you still w- want them to show up because you believe it's important to, to have these things to get a head start on the season, Chase Young not showing up. I mean, we don't know at this moment why he didn't show up. Those reasons could be interesting going forward. There are other teams around the league that a lot of players don't show up for these things. But right here, it's, it's been kind of pretty close to 100% attendance for the most part, even under Jay Gruden. Hasn't obviously led to, to a lot of wins, but that was a thing that was happening. I'm sure every coach would prefer to have all their guys there. And if Chase Young, if his reasons are of such that he continues to do this and other players say, well, I admire Chase Young. He's a leader on his team. I'm going to follow suit. That could be that could be something. So we'll see. I do think it's interesting, but um, you know, I, I I don't I don't I'm going to guess that Ron isn't like up in arms over it, and you know he's not the, the veins aren't bulging out of his neck on the topic because he does recognize the voluntary thing, and he does see that Chase Young is going to be good to go. But at the same time, you know, he keeps pointing out he's really happy with the guys that are there and their effort, and you know that's because he wants guys there like they all would. Talking with Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC. So we heard from Taylor Heineke on Wednesday, had the bandage over his left eye, also revealed that he's bulked up, and he sure looks like he's bulked up. He said he's added about 15 pounds. You know, there really has not been much conversation this offseason about Heineke or Kyle Allen potentially being Washington's starting quarterback in week one. I think we get why, right? I mean, the widespread expectation is that that guy will be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do you think it's appropriate that we haven't had more conversation about Heineke or even Allen? Or should there at least be more acknowledgement of especially Heineke of what he did do in that playoff loss to Tampa Bay? 
Well, I think it's, I think there should be more discussion. I mean, look, uh, are they keeping three quarterbacks? I mean, I'm assuming they are based on who the three are. They gave Heineke a two year deal. We know Rivera loves Kyle Allen. So I'm not really seeing a world where Rivera moves on from Allen, but like not every team keeps three, but again, I would imagine that, but like to the point of, well, there is a competition one way or the other at a minimum. It's a, who's going to be the number two to Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then from that, um, hypothetically, you know, does the third guy make the team again? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Um, in terms of the starting aspect, uh, you know, I, look, they keep talking about competition. I think this is where you as a consumer and certainly as a reporter have to be, be able to read between the lines. If you tell me that anybody besides Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting week one, either A, there was an injury or an alien abduction. I, I don't understand. You know, it's hard to picture any world in which that's not happening. Um, but I do think simultaneously it's important to discuss um, who is the backup and what does that mean? I mean, not just because Fitzpatrick could, uh, you know, get hurt, obviously, but is there a guy on the team who could be the starter long term? And the likely answer is no. But you need to like, you know, this is why you, you, you have all these OTAs and practices and training camps to get as best of a look you can. And therefore, you know, if Fitzpatrick starts the year, what, what else is here? Maybe you're good with, even if it's not Fitzpatrick, some other veteran and this other player is the, is the, is the legit backup. That's fine, right? Um, so I, I think it's worthy of discussing, but I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about either of those guys actually starting. If Washington did only keep two quarterbacks, who do you think would be the odd man out? I, I, I think it's a fascinating one. I mean, Rivera has been Kyle Allen's biggest backer since he got here and, you know, he traded for him when he was at Carolina, right? But when you hear Scott Turner talk about, about Heineke, you really can feel something, feels passionate about him there. And obviously Heineke did deliver, I would say the single best start for any of the quarterbacks last year. I honestly don't know who I think would, would, would start. I feel like Kyle Allen is the safer bet, but maybe with a, I don't know if I want to say a smaller or, or a lower ceiling because it's not to infer that Heineke's ceiling is high. So I think, I, I think if you're telling me they're both healthy, I, I personally would probably say Kyle Allen, but I could be absolutely wrong. And maybe what we saw against Tampa Bay with Heineke is sustainable and that is a, one of the bigger unknowns I just it's just hard to see how 32 NFL teams determined that this guy wasn't even worthy of being on their practice squad in a year in which um, teams were keeping you know uh, uh, four quarterbacks because of the opportunity last year and they still didn't have him so it's just hard for me to see how everybody was that wrong on this guy, even though we saw what he did against Tampa. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, certainly NFL teams are wrong on players all the time, but when it comes to something like Heineke, it would be something else if the NFL was that wrong about this guy. So Washington, of course, does have a fourth quarterback on the team in Steven Montez. You broke the news in March of Washington considering employing Montez in like a Taysom Hill-like role. And sure enough, at Wednesday's OTA practice open the media, Steven Montez was participating in some non-quarterback drills. So apparently Washington is giving this a shot. How realistic is this? Steven Montez making the team as this kind of super utility offensive player? Um, well, I think we have a long way to go before the the true Taysom Hill aspect comes into play where he's actually catching passes. Uh, maybe I missed something, but what I saw yesterday was 
watching the special teams drills, there was like at various points they broke out in like three different groups. One point they're practicing like sort of swim moves uh, against an attacking dummy. Other one was like some coverages. And there's the players you imagine would be out there, a Cam Sims, a Troy Apke, a DeShazer Everett. And there's this guy in the yellow, don't touch me quarterback jersey. And you're like, wow, this looks really, really weird. Um, but the way Rivera kind of phrased it was he said, he mentions the fact that Montez had COVID-19 last year, therefore has the antibodies and he's been vaccinated now as well. And thus the ability to, the fact that, you know, COVID is still a, a thing. And if somehow they were to have a scenario where there would be some sort of a, if not an outbreak, some player can, you know, gets it. Now, what do you do in a pinch? Well, now you have this guy here in Montez who perhaps can play multiple positions and could come in and do that. And he said it in a way that was like, I'm viewing it like he's on the practice squad and could bring him up in a pinch. I think we'd have to see a lot more, especially from like the, what else is he actually doing? on offense um, aspect. We, we're not there. We're not there yet. It's still very early in the process. So look, it's, it's, it's all possible. And I guess also it isn't just an isolation. Are they, if they're keeping three quarterbacks, okay, cool. Uh, let's just say you're not even counting Montez as a quarterback, but then like, what is he? You already have a bunch of receivers that are, there's going to be some tough receiver cuts to make. Same thing on the offensive line. Same thing, perhaps in the secondary. Okay, what, what, like, where does he fit in? To that, the last couple spots always come down to special teams typically, but is he a dynamic special teams player or are we just saying he can play it? So I, I, I imagine he makes you making the roster is a bit of a long shot at this point, but they are making the moves towards giving it a shot. Do you know what the team thinks about Montez as a quarterback? Like, do they actually believe there's something worth developing there with him or the fact that they're going to try him out in this utility role, is that maybe an indictment of him as a quarterback? And they're like, well, look, you're not going to be a passer for us, so maybe we can use you in another way. Uh, I mean, you know, look, he's an undrafted free agent. So, you know, I, I think that automatically kind of says something about what, what people would, would think of him. Now, obviously, undrafted free agents have gone on to be players in this league, Tony Romo and, and, and some others. Um, I do think on some level the fact that they didn't draft a quarterback, not even like a day three guy, I mean, part of that is because we already established they've got three quarterbacks on the roster that they can use. But also, I think they, it, look, Montez didn't have a preseason last year, no OTAs. Whatever he is, they probably still haven't, especially as a straight quarterback, they haven't seen it in full. He hasn't actually been in a game yet, even preseason. So I, I think they're intrigued enough, and I think that's in part why they're trying to find ways to keep him around. It would be, if they were just like, eh, we, don't, we didn't see much, we'll move on, you know, so on. And let's also not forget, Last year, he was the number two quarterback, even with Heineke on the roster initially. Now, the next game, they went to Heineke, and, and Rivera said something like, at some point, like, yeah, I kind of looked at Steven Montez's eyes, and I was like, oh, boy, he, I think this might be a bit much for him, so uh, let's go over in this direction. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe that said something as well about what they think of him, but, uh, you know, they, they – they have three quarterbacks. They don't have to force it. And, you know, they, but simultaneously they have this opportunity to give him a run. He was getting snaps yesterday because Heineke was uh, not working because he had this gash on his head and he can't put a helmet on right now. Um, so he's getting some work and, uh, you know, they'll see what they got. A lot of talk about the offensive line on Wednesday. With Sadiq Charles, is he a guard, a tackle, or is that truly to be determined? Yes. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's such a weird thing. He spent last going into training camp. The talk was he's in the mix to be the starting left tackle. That obviously never materializes because he has his calf injury. Then we see him on the field for all of two snaps before his injury. 
and he's playing guard. And then, and that was, you know, going back to before they got rid of Moses, Morgan Moses and Jaron Christian, I kept talking over and over again, like, there's way too many people on this offensive line. That something has to give. And then on top of that, even now, you have, if Charles Leno is your left tackle and you have Cornelius Lucas and Sam Cosme, in theory, in the in battling for the right tackle spot. At left guard, you have Wes Schweitzer and Eric Flowers. Like, just imagine Sidney Charles doesn't exist. I don't think we're sitting here going, well, they they have no options. I'm not saying this is the hog is reincarnated, but there's options. Sidney Charles is on top of all that, and he could be really interesting. Rivera clearly liked what he, did, what he saw last year. They spent a fourth-round pick on him. Some people think he could be really good. And maybe ultimately this is an opportunity to, for him to just – Keep working at his craft and get ready because, you know, look, we think the right guard spot, decent chance that's opening up next year. Brandon Scherf doesn't sign a long-term deal by July 15th. So, um, you know, there's a lot of options. Of course, uh, Charles Leno is only on a one-year deal. So who knows who's the left tackle next year, right? Or, I mean, it could, maybe it's Cosme at that point if they move him over. So I think I would just say they're still working it out. Rivera has said that. You don't always 100% buy everything they all tell you. But I think it just logically makes sense that they don't know what he is. And you might as well keep seeing what he can do because, one, injuries happen. And, two, he does have a lot of potential. Why not, if you know, if there's an opportunity to get him on the field somehow, why not do it? Yeah, right. I mean, if he was a fourth-round pick who should have been a second-rounder, maybe even a first-rounder, if not for some of the off-the-field stuff, why limit him by just making him a guard? Why not see what he could maybe be as a tackle? So I'm with you. I, I think that probably is to be determined. You mentioned Morgan Moses. So so many of us were surprised when Washington released Moses. I know that you weren't. You had a sense that this could be coming. What do we know about why Morgan Moses was released? It it still does seem kind of random. He's not that old. He certainly has been durable. He wasn't that expensive. Washington has all this cap space. Ron on Wednesday talked about how one of the goals of the offseason was to establish more depth along the offensive line. You and releasing Moses, of course, cut into that depth. Um, it's not like this was such a travesty that Morgan Moses got released, but I, I do find it to be one of the more interesting occurrences this offseason. Why was he cut by Washington? Um, well, I mean, I think there's, uh, I'm not trying to be vague or whatever. I, I mean, I do think there was some stuff perhaps behind the scenes. I mean, look, I don't have any sense that Morgan Moses and his side demanded an extension, but I think they clearly wanted one. I wrote about the idea of giving Moses an extension back in March, the very day that Alex Smith was released. I, I did like a 10-point play, and here are things Washington could do this offseason or should do or whatever. And Rivera had said, we have all this cap space. We want to use some of it on keeping some of our own players. So I looked at the roster. John Allen is the one obvious guy, and another one seemed to be perhaps Morgan Moses. Um, two, two years left on this deal, no guaranteed money, you know, He's a, he's a veteran. He's a locker room guy, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're not, if you're not committed to giving that to him, cause I get it, right? I mean, he is, he has had a bunch of injuries prior to last year. His, his, his two years before that weren't that good. And maybe the coaching staff, like I said before, they want to have their own people in whatever shape that means. Of course, I know, I, you know, I'll leave it up to the offensive line gurus out there to say how you compare Morgan Moses and Cornelius Lucas, but Lucas was solid. Last year, playing left tackle, he had played right tackle previously, and you do spend a second round pick on Sam Cosme. Typically, you spend a second round pick on a guy, and uh, that guy's going to play. Now, if they never sign Charles Leno, I would imagine Moses is still here, right? I mean, you could just take the Cosme Lucas 
battle, put it to the left side. Rivera said initially that they were going to throw uh, Cosme over there, and you would then have Moses on the right side. But once they decided, I guess, that Leno was in play, uh, you know, it's a one-year commitment for a guy. Money is not a big deal versus giving Moses an extension. And if it's sort of that scenario, one-year $5 million versus giving this guy um, more money perhaps, maybe that's the issue. And all, maybe that was a point. And also, I will just say this. If you want Cosby to play, I don't think Rivera is going to hand him the job. They were using Lucas as the, as the right tackle with the ones. Um, but if you want him to play, how is you need to get him snaps? Remember, what, what was the conversation with Dwayne Haskins was a rookie? How are they not giving him snaps? Well, here's how. They had Keith Keenum who needed to learn how to play here and Colt McCoy, who Jay Gruden wanted to start. These guys were there. So if Morgan Moses is working with the ones, is Sam, and you still have Lucas and all that, like how, where is Sam Cosme getting the reps that they think he needs to get, to get him on the field? Um, I will just say this. I, I, again, not an offensive line guru, but I remember one play yesterday watching a play. I think like Jonathan Williams, one of the back, deep backup running backs, he had a long run. Again, there's no tackling, but whatever. He had a long run down the sideline. And I noticed one, one big guy is way out in front of him running over people. And I was like, wait, who's that? And I looked and it was Sam Cosme. And he's known for his speed. Brandon Scherf yesterday talked about that, you know, he's big, but also he's pretty fast. And we saw that. And I think there's these athletic traits. I think they're curious to see what he can do. I, 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 I think there are some people in the league who think Cosme is a little bit more of a project. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Perhaps Washington is suggesting, but at the same time, there's there's probably a greater upside there than there is with Morgan Moses, who was the more safer option. They chose, I think, to go with the upside, even if that upside doesn't completely happen this year. They want to get that started. So for all those reasons together, combined with probably a couple other things we don't fully know, then I, I think it's kind of why they did what they did. Excellent stuff. Follow him on Twitter, at Ben Standig. Read his work on The Athletic DC and download the podcast. The Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben, it's great to talk to you as always, man. Thanks so much for your time. Al, always appreciate it. Glad you know that you're recording. I will stay out of your business from now on. All right, guys, look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash Al Galdi now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care. 
for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Well, so much for the Nationals' two-game winning streak. So much for the Nats' offense having been better over the previous two games. A 5-1 loss at the Atlanta Braves on Thursday afternoon. The Nats end up splitting their four-game series at the Braves. Nats lost for the sixth time in eight games, fell to 23-30 and overall, including just 3-7 and against the Braves this season. I know we're still only about a third of the way into the regular season, 53 games at a 162. Nats still have a lot of time with which to work, but understand this. If we all agree that 90 wins is what the Nats need to get to to be realistic about making the postseason, okay, and that can be a give-or-take situation. Maybe 88 somehow ends up being enough, but 90, generally speaking, is what you want to be shooting for to make the playoffs. The Nats would have to go 67 and 42 the rest of the way to get to 90 wins this season. The Nats now are 23 and 30. The Nats would have to go 67 and 42 the rest of the season to finish with at least 90 wins. The Nats have to go 25 games above 500 the rest of the season to get to 90 wins. You tell me, given what we've seen from this Nationals team so far, how confident are you? And the Nats going at least 67 and 42 the rest of the season. This is the problem when you dig yourself in the kind of hole that the Nats have dug themselves in this season. Of course, we saw this happen two years ago, 19 and 31 in 2019. We all know what happened after that. But that's not a realistic formula to continually go by when it comes to trying to make postseasons, okay? What happened in 2019 was great. It's an all-timer, but it's probably not something you're going to be doing again anytime soon. Going from 19 and 31 to winning a World Series. That's not the way to do this year. The Nats have again put themselves in a bad spot, and perhaps they rally again from that spot. You never know. But right now, it certainly doesn't look that promising. 25 games above 500. I mean, think about that. That's what the Nats have to do the rest of the way to get to 90 wins. And the offense remains a big concern because as nice as some of what we saw from the Nationals over the previous two games was, the Nats were right back to being impotent offensively on Thursday afternoon. Just four hits, a double and three singles to go with five walks. Nats went one for nine with runners in scoring position. And here's what was as galling as anything with this game. The Nats got totally shut down by Tucker Davidson. Okay, and they say, well, who's Tucker Davidson? Well, Tucker Davidson was making his third career major league start. Okay, well, you might think, well, Tucker Davidson, maybe he's a promising prospect for the Braves. No, not exactly. Tucker Davidson was taken by the Braves in the 19th round of the 2016 MLB draft. So a guy who was taken in the 19th round in the 2016 draft and was making just his third major league start, that guy silenced the Nationals on Thursday afternoon. Tucker Davidson tossed five and two-thirds scoreless innings with five strikeouts 
versus one hit and five walks. It's not just the Jacob DeGroms and Brandon Woodruffs who've silenced the Nats so far this season. It's way too often been guys like Tucker Davidson who have no business silencing the Nats and yet end up doing exactly that. What was so funny about the Nationals' offensive performance on Thursday is that the Nats' best hitter in the game ended up being Jordy Mercer, of all people. Mercer has been woeful as a batter this season. He was actually pretty good on Thursday. He was the Nats' starting second baseman and number seven batter. He had a double and a single and scored the Nats' lone run, which came on a two-out RBI single by the Nats' starting catcher and number eight batter in the game, Alex Avila, on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the ninth. So if not for Mercer and Davila, the Nats get shut out on Thursday afternoon at the Braves. Josh Harrison and Starling Castro killed the Nats offensively in this series. And look, Josh Harrison has done a lot of good things so far this season. He was a real bright spot as recently as just a few weeks ago. But man, has Josh Harrison come crashing down to earth. And this is part of the big issue with the Nationals, the lack of depth and this over-reliance on people who should not be relied upon nearly enough. Josh Harrison is supposed to be a super utility man for the Nationals. Josh Harrison is not supposed to be an everyday player for the Nationals. But because the Carter Keeboom situation has turned into the total flop that it has, Keeboom Wright was supposed to be the everyday third baseman and said he's not even on the major league team. Harrison has started a bunch of games for the Nats this season. He started all four games in this four game series at the Braves. He, in fact, was the Nats number two batter in each game in the series. Most teams have as their number two batters the best players, or best hitters anyway, on those teams. The Nats had Josh Harrison as their number two batter for each game in this series. He was an at starting second baseman in each of the first three games. He was an at starting left fielder in game four because Kyle Schwarber now is dealing with a right knee issue. And Harrison in the series went two for 16 with two singles and a walk. Two for 16 with two singles and a walk. Josh Harrison's OPS for the season has fallen by 102 points since the start of games on May 25th. Now, as you and I are speaking on this Friday, it's June 4th. May 25th wasn't that long ago. That's the extent to which Josh Harrison's OPS for the season has come crashing down from 837 to 735. A 102-point plummet of Josh Harrison's OPS for the season since the start of games on May 25th. Harrison in the 5-1 loss at the Braves on Thursday, 0-3 for with a walk, and he committed a fielding error on Ozzy Albies' one-out RBI single on a 1-2 pitch from Patrick Corbin in the Braves' 4-run 6. Uh, more on Corbin coming up momentarily. But then there's Starling Castro. And look, I've been very hard on Starling Castro this season. I have nothing against the guy personally. He just should not be relied upon the way the Nats are relying upon him. He was the Nats' starting third baseman in all four games in the series. I don't have an issue with Castro necessarily being the starting third baseman. I have an issue with starting Castro routinely batting in the number five spot in the lineup. Castro in the series, two for 15 with two walks and seven strikeouts. Castro in the game on Thursday was the Nats, yes, number five batter, 0 for three with a walk and a strikeout. Here now is Starling Castro's slash line for this season. Batting average of 249, on base percentage of 304, slugging percentage of 320. That is horrible, okay? A 624 OPS for Starling Castro on the season, and yet he has been the Nats' number five batter so often, so far this season. Again, 
and over-reliance on people who should not be relied upon nearly enough. If you're going to have Castro in your lineup, he should be no better than the number six batter, ideally the number seven or even number eight batter at this point, especially with the season he's having. Instead, he so often has been the Nats' number five batter this season, and he's got an on-base percentage of 304, slugging percentage of 320. Ryan Zimmerman had a bad game on Thursday. He was back in there as an ad starting first baseman and cleanup batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He left four men on base, struck out on five pitches with Trey Turner on second and two outs in the top of the eighth. Now, speaking of Trey, he did end up having a good series as did Juan Soto. So Soto did not homer for a third consecutive game on Thursday, but he did draw a couple of walks. Juan Soto as an ass number three batter, 0 for 2, but with two walks and a strikeout. So Soto in the series ends up having, hopefully, the series that launches him back into truly being Juan Soto. 5 for 11 with two homers, three singles, and six walks. That's the Juan Soto we know. A series in which he has two bombs, three singles, and six walks. Hitting for power, drawing walks, getting on base. That's Juan Soto. So hopefully he is back in full effect moving forward. Time will tell. Uh, Trey Turner was an interesting series for him. It got off to a terrible start. Trey Turner in the Nats game one loss, 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. But the rest of the series, 6 for 14 with a double five singles and a stolen base. Turner in the 5-1 loss at the Braves on Thursday afternoon, 1 for 4 with a single. Also, Victor Robles, thankfully, was not the Nats number nine batter on Thursday afternoon. This, I think, had to do with Davey Martinez playing a bunch of reserves in the game like Alex Avila and Jordy Mercer. But Victor Robles, who has been buried by Davey so often this season as the Nats number nine batter, was the Nats number six batter in the game on Thursday. My oh my, uh, imagine that. Uh, Robles 0 for 3 with a walk and a couple of strikeouts. He made a great catch though in the game. Terrific leaping catch against the center field wall to rob Austin Riley of a hit with a runner on second and two outs in the bottom of the first inning. So this takes us to Patrick Corbin, who started Thursday afternoon's game and had a very odd performance. A performance that in some ways captures Corbin's 2021 season. So the final line for Corbin ends up being four runs in five and a third innings. But that doesn't really tell the story of Corbin's outing. He was very good for five innings, then fell apart in a four-run Brave six. And this is how it's kind of been for Corbin this year. He's actually had some good starts, but he too often has not been good, and he ultimately wasn't good in this game on Thursday. So Corbin tossed five scoreless innings, but he then gave up four runs in the bottom of the sixth on a leadoff full count single by Ronald Acuna Jr., despite him having been down to the count at 1.02, a stolen base by Acuna, a one-out RBI single by Ozzie Albies on a 1-2 pitch, and Josh Harrison committing a fielding error on the play, a one-out first pitch RBI double by Austin Riley, and a one-out full count two-run homer by Dansby Swanson and Corbin, then issued a one-out five-pitch walk of A. Ray Adrianza. David Martinez then finally pulled Corbin. Patrick Corbin's biggest problem is that he does not miss bats. Patrick Corbin became a very good strikeout pitcher over the 2018 and 2019 seasons. So his final season with the Arizona Diamondbacks, his first season with the Nationals. These last two years, 2020 and 2021, for whatever reason, Patrick Corbin has stopped missing bats. He has stopped striking guys out. Guys now make contact on Corbin on the regular. And when you pitch to contact, you are prone to giving up more hits. And sure enough, Patrick Corbin has given up a lot of hits over the last two seasons. Patrick Corbin now, on the season, over 11 starts, has an ERA of 628 and a whip, 
Walks plus hits divided by innings pitched of 152. This off Corbin last season over 11 starts, putting up an ERA of 466 with a whip of 157. And the whip stand out as much as anything. 157 whip over 11 starts in 2020. 152 whip over 11 starts in 2021. He is putting a lot of guys on base. And when you do that, runs are scored. Again, 466 ERA last season, 628 ERA now this season. And Corbin is in a real rut right now. Patrick Corbin over his last four starts has allowed 15 runs in 21 innings on 29 hits and eight walks. He doesn't miss bats. He allows guys to get on base. And going back through some of the specifics of that four-run brave six inning on Thursday afternoon, Corbin had Acuna down at 1.02, couldn't put him away. Acuna had a leadoff single. Corbin had Albies down 1-2, couldn't put him away. Albies had a one-out RBI single. You just can't have things like that. When you have guys in put-away counts, you've got to put those guys away. And Corbin, too often, is not doing that. And here's the bottom line. Six-year, $140 million contract right now, that does not look good at all. You know, we've spent a lot of time this week talking about Steven Strasburg, and he's back on the Nationals' 10-day injured list. 70-year, $245 million contract and how terrible that looks like in the moment. Uh, Corbin's deal doesn't look much better right now. Six years, $140 million. Guy's got an ERA of 628 on the season. And we're now 11 starts into his season, okay? Like, this is not, you know, a three or four start slump to begin a season. This is 11 starts. The guy's got an ERA well over six. Not good. Not a good spot to be in, especially with Strasburg out. You should be able to lean on Patrick Corbin right now. Instead, you want to close your eyes whenever Patrick Corbin pitches. And it's a shame because, like I said, his outing got off to such a good start on Thursday. Five scoreless innings, but then it all unraveled in that four-run Brave Six. Nats ended up using three relievers in the loss on Thursday afternoon. Kyle McGowan, Sam Clay, and Paolo Espino. So this was the JV squad when it came to the Nats bullpen. Uh, those three guys combined to give up one run in two and two-thirds innings. McGowan, who on Wednesday was recalled from AAA Rochester, has a corresponding roster move to Strasburg going on the 10-day IL. Pitch well. McGowan retired the only two batters he faced for the final two outs in the Braves' four-run six. Clay was the guy who gave up the run. He allowed a run in the bottom of the seventh on a one-out full-count walk, a Ronald Acuna Jr., and a two-out first-pitch RBI double by Ozzie Albies. Boy, Albies killed the Nats in this series. And then my guy, Paolo Espino, was good again. Bottom of the eighth, a perfect inning with two strikeouts. Paolo Espino's ERA now on the season is 212. He's got a whip of 0.71. Yes, a lot of his innings have been low leverage innings. That is true. But man, I tell you, I give him credit. He's been a very effective reliever for the Nationals on the season. Next up for the Nats, three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. Game one, Friday night, 7.05. Good pitching matchup. Max Scherzer versus Zach Wheeler. All right, guys, if you love listening to me on the Al Galdi podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle 
is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about D.C. area sports, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the podcast. If you are a doctor or a lawyer and want to grow your practice, if you run a business and want your business to gain more steam, allow the power of the pod to work for you. This podcast generates thousands of downloads every day, five episodes per week, Although not this week because of Memorial Day, but otherwise, five episodes per week. This is not a once a week, twice a week, or even thrice a week operation. Five days per week, Monday through Friday, out by 5 a.m. each weekday. No other podcast like it. Big week on the show next week, as it is the week of the Washington football team's mandatory minicamp. Ron Rivera, due to be speaking every day of the minicamp, which is scheduled for Tuesday through Thursday, June 8th through the 10th. Another work week is complete on the pod. Your continued support is much appreciated. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday. (laughs) Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.